Hey, I'm Maria Spear Alice, and I hate rushing. It never yields good things to rush, whether it's rushing to finish a client project or rushing to put on eyeliner. But when we have 10,000 things on our minds at any given moment, it's hard not to fall into that habit. I've had a lot of very specific technical training in my life, hello music school and law school, but none of that training prepared me for being a business owner, a lawyer, a wife, a mom, or really just a functional adult woman with a huge to-do list. I'm no guru, but I created Don't Rush Me as a way to talk more about the slow, simple tools you can start using today to make your life and business life a little easier. So whether you're a healer, a coach, or a business owner, a professional craving that slowdown, come with me as we learn about the small, easy things that can make a huge difference in your mind, body, or business. If you're a business owner, I want you to take a second and think back to why you started your business. Maybe you were allured by the limitless amount of money you can make when you own a business. I truly believe that, by the way. It is limitless. Maybe you have a really, really good idea, some unique way of solving a problem. Or maybe it was a combination of just really freaking wanting to fulfill your passion, to make an impact, and to have control over your own destiny. You want to work with the clients you want to work with, you wanted to take a day off when you wanted to take a day off, and you wanted the flexibility of controlling your schedule. That last one really resonates with me, and it's something that my guest today is really passionate about. Cynthia Samanian is the founder of Culinary Creator Business School. Through her courses and coaching programs, Cynthia helps solopreneurs build a life-first culinary business by teaching online. After having two daughters in two years during the pandemic, she quickly recognized the value of having freedom and flexibility in her work. And now she helps her students achieve the same. Listen in for Cynthia's wisdom on how to build a business that supports the life you have and want rather than one that competes with it. But of course, before we dive into my conversation with Cynthia, here is this week's holistic history lesson. And this time, come with me and learn about that highly prized and expensive spice, saffron. Saffron is one of the oldest and most expensive spices in the world. It's actually a member of the iris family, isn't that interesting? And its fragrant and vividly colored stigmas have been used for thousands of years for culinary, medicinal, and spiritual purposes. Saffron has a long history with references to its use dating back to ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia. It's believed that the spice was first cultivated in the Mediterranean region around 3,500 years ago, and it was later introduced to Asia and North Africa by traders and explorers. Saffron has been used in traditional medicine for centuries. It's believed to have anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and anti-cancer properties, and it has been used to treat a variety of conditions including asthma, menstrual disorders, and memory loss. Some studies have also suggested that saffron may have antidepressant effects. Saffron's popularity in Persian culture can be traced back to the 1500s, and it's an essential ingredient in Persian cuisine. Saffron's popularity in Persian cuisine can be traced back to the 1500s and is an essential ingredient in Persian cuisine. Persian saffron is known for its distinct flavor and aroma and is used in a variety of dishes including rice, stews, and desserts. The spice is also used to flavor tea and other beverages. Today, Iran is the largest producer and exporter of saffron in the world. According to Persian culture, this is so interesting, when you're stirring saffron into a dish, you're supposed to laugh, and the harder you laugh, the more golden the saffron becomes when it dissolves. It's richer in color. 
Saffron is supposed to make you so happy you could die from laughter. This is something that's part of Persian culture, but goes along with those studies that suggest that some antidepressant effects of saffron. Indeed, in traditional Persian medicine, saffron is said to aid in alleviating depression, elevating mood, and creating a sense of euphoria. Fascinating, right? And I have to thank our incredible guest, Cynthia, who is Persian herself and for contributing to this week's holistic history lesson. I love that laughter is said to contribute to the goldenness of the dish you're creating when you're using saffron. So now listen in to my conversation with Cynthia Samanian of Culinary Creator Business School. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. I'm so excited to have you here because I remember being on your podcast two years ago, um, which is crazy that it was two years ago, but like, it was so much fun and you're just so, you're, you're, you're so polished and professional and just like, you just, I, I admire you a lot is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh. That means so much. And I, yeah, I cannot believe it was two years ago. You were, uh, like one of my favorite guests that season, because I was like, wait, I found a lawyer who actually can talk to me like a normal person and watches the real housewives. Wait, what? Yes. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot for a second about our real housewives connection. We're going to have to talk about that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, it was so much fun. Well, tell us who you serve and just kind of like a little bit about your journey to what you're doing now with business owners. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the founder of Culinary Creator Business School, and I work with culinary solopreneurs, so typically one-woman shops, um, and I really help them build what I call a life-first online business. And I do that through uh, my coaching programs. I also have a podcast, which we just talked about, and some other resources. And um, essentially, I help them create an online business that works for them, supports the life that they have, supports the life that they are dreaming of having, um, and doing that through selling online workshops, courses, memberships, and other digital offers. Um, they all come to me with a really incredible expertise in their field. We have chefs, bakers, chocolatiers, registered dietitians, a really wide range of professionals in the space, as well as home cooks who just really know their craft very, very well. They come to me with that knowledge and then they're like, okay, Cynthia, how can I actually like turn this from passion to a profit while not giving up all the other stuff I have to do? Most of my students have families or they're caring for their parents. They wear many hats. And so now is the time that they are finally able to invest in themselves and their businesses. And that's when I show up and help them. Remind me, I'm sure that we've talked about this, but remind me how it is that you got to food. Gosh, <laughs> how much, how much time do we have for this? Um, I'll, yes, I'll give you the, the medium sized story. So I grew up in a home with a lot of awesome Iranian food. Uh, my parents immigrated mm. from Iran in the seventies during the revolution and food was really our way of introducing people to our culture um, back then. So I was I was born here, but just growing up where we lived, there weren't a lot of Iranians. We weren't in like the heart of LA, Shahs of Sunset reference here. <laughs> <laughs> Did not have that upbringing. We had a few Iranian family friends, but for the most part, our neighbors and friends had never been exposed to our culture. They didn't even know where it was versus, you know, 
um, Iraq or any, I mean, it was just, they were like Middle East. What is that? And a lot of people were frankly scared of the Middle East, um, thanks to a lot of Western media. So we used food as a way for people to just get to know more about our culture. And, uh, my mom is an amazing cook and, you know, you're Greek, so you get it. Like food (laughs) is not just food. It's how you show your love. It's how you, uh, welcome people. I mean, anyone who'd walk in our door, the Persian carpet was rolled out for them. And I'd ask my mom what she's making and she'd keep going and going and going. I'm like, mom, you do know, we only have two people coming over. She's like, I know, but we can't have the table be empty. And she's like making five stews and like three types of rice. Oh my gosh. Yes. I can so relate to that. My great aunt, when I was in Greece visiting once, I mean, it was a table full of food and we all just ate until we just could not eat anymore. And she was just like, you can eat very much. We're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You're kidding me. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's why my, my husband fit in really well into our family is because he actually like, likes to eat. He He's mm-hmm. French. So he appreciates food, but he won my parents over my mom specifically because of him going back for like thirds <laughs> when he was yep. invited over for yep. dinner. So, oh my gosh, that's so funny. My husband yeah. said in one of our, before we were engaged, like we went over to another aunt's house and he's like, I know my job and my job is to eat. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty easy. Uh, so uh, yeah. So for me, food has always been this thing that was more than just getting nutrients in my body. Um, I never really connected the dots until much later when I just continue to gravitate towards food as something I wanted to have a career in, but I didn't know what, like I couldn't quite pinpoint it. And I had done, I had worked in restaurants in high school, knew that wasn't right for me. I, let's see what else I done. I got into food blogging, which I really enjoyed. That was a great conduit to like getting to, um, know cookbooks, uh, getting to know cookbook authors and going on there, like seeing them when they would visit San Francisco and meeting these people who are like celebrities to me and writing about them on my blog. And it, it was fun. But again, I'm like, I, I'm not really cut out to be a food blogger. You have to be really consistent as a blogger. And I was just mm-hmm. getting bored pretty quickly after I figured out, oh, this is how you take food photos and how do you style? And of course my work was like nowhere near professional quality, but I just there was something about it that didn't quite fulfill me, but I was doing that while working more traditional jobs. So I worked as a financial analyst. I went oh, to, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I worked for general electric. Wow. I lived in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> Fairfield County. I lived there right after college. They told me it was New York city, but it's actually not. It's <laughs> It's a, it's a pretty long train ride when it's 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. on a Friday. Um, yeah, but I joined this program out of college and it was amazing. It was a, it was called Financial Management Program, FMP, and it was made up of a bunch of college grads from all over the country. And it was, I mean, we could have had a reality show, Maria. It was so <laughs> much fun, especially because we were all in like Stanford, Connecticut, which again is not New York City, despite what they told us. So I, I had a great time. I actually got to work in Ireland for a bit. I did a six month rotation in Paris, which was oh. amazing. I, my mom was like, did you find 
a husband? I said, no, mom, I'll never marry a French guy. Never. <laughs> Amazing. Like they That's smoke so too much and they're like really, really thin. And like, I felt weird sitting that no. <laughs> and then of course the joke is I married my husband who's French American. Um, let's see what else. So then I also, so I went to business school when I went to business school, I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue my passion, do this entrepreneurship thing. And I kept brainstorming ideas around food. I wanted to like create a potluck app. I, I just was like, how do I bring together this passion I have for food, how it brings people together also and a business. And of course I was totally the odd one out. Like people, I remember my advisors at the time were just like, mm, that's cute, but that's not going to work. And looking back, they're probably right. But I just was like trying so, so hard to find my place in in the food world, like how could I work with food in a way that lit me up and also was something that, uh, you know, I could do in the long haul, yep. aka not go to culinary school and become a restaurant chef. Because from a lifestyle perspective, I knew I didn't want that. And most yeah. of my students, or not most, but many of them, come from that world and then they're they're burned out. So yep. I knew that was in the path. Um, Ultimately, I moved to San Francisco where I interned for a tech company and then later stayed on. I was there for five years. It was a very, very small tech startup. And I got to learn a lot about how products are built. So I uh, ended up being the director of product, which meant that I oversaw a team of designers and engineers, and we would build these mobile apps. This was actually pre-Instagram. We were creating something that was a bit similar to it. It was like a meld of Facebook and Instagram and obviously pre-TikTok, pre but I was really just working in the area of social media. And again, like that didn't quite pull me uh, as an industry. I didn't necessarily love it in terms of like working on a social network, but I really loved building and creating. And it validated for me that I loved putting something new out there. And I knew that I was an entrepreneur and that I was meant to start a business after that. I had an opportunity to leave the company once we were acquired. It was not a huge financial uh, event for me. I'll just say when people hear acquisition, they're like, oh, she must've had a lot of money. It wasn't that at all, but I did have a tiny cushion that helped me pay the bills and helped me justify taking the leap. I was single at the time, no children, living on my own in San Francisco and a little naive, I should say, about what was ahead. But thankfully, I just kept moving forward and started a business that evolved into another and another. And then here I am today. So it's a bit of a windy path, but I did the first business I did start was actually like a food media site. I thought I wanted to like take on Bon Appetit and all these sites who had yet mm. really addressed millennials. Yeah. It was called Confetti Kitchen. Oh, that's cute. So cute. I, I have the trademark still. Um, <laughs> I have the trademark and yeah, it, going back to my roots, it was all about inspiring my peers who are millennials to open up their little studio apartments and have their friends over and not to be intimidated by what to make and I worked with recipe developers and we shot photos out of my living room. And I was really trying hard to build a content business. I quickly learned that, uh, like that's really hard to do without a lot of money, which is why a lot of 
uh, media companies have investors. I also knew that I didn't want to go down that path, though. I, I really wanted to build a business that had cash flow from the beginning. So there was a mismatch there for sure with like the business model and what I wanted to do to generate cash. I mean, I hit a point of desperation, Maria, where I was like, oh shoot, like fortunately I didn't have any employees, but I was like, I can't just like keep throwing money into this, hoping that I'll have an audience to one day sell ads to, which is the model. So I looked at like what I could do and what I knew. And I'm like, I'm pretty organized. I bet I could throw an event. <laughs> So I did that. So I, I threw an event, invited a bunch of food bloggers, pitched brands and said, Hey, pasta brand. Hey, spice brand. I'm going to have these amazing influencers in the food space, in this room, on the state. Will you pay me <laughs> to put your product in front of them? And they said, yes. And so that actually became a business that I was good at, that was aligned in that it used my skill set. It generated cash. And so I went with that and I eventually uh, pivoted Confetti Kitchen into Hidden Rhythm, which was uh, an experiential marketing agency for food and wellness brands. So that, that grew pretty quickly in a few years. And I was working with brands like Bob's Red Mill and mm. Native Deodorant and helping them do these big pop-ups and in-person events to attract people to their products and services. And it was really really intense. I mean, I physically would come home with like bruises and scratches from these events and my husband would be like, okay, like, where's this going? <laughs> but I, I loved it. I love the newness of it. I love that every event was unlike the, the other or the previous. And I got to do some cool things. And again, I think at that time, my husband and I maybe just got engaged. It was just a different sort of life, different era, <laughs> different era. In 2020, I, the last event I did was in Palm Springs, it was Alt Summit. Maybe oh, some listeners yeah, are familiar, familiar with it. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I worked with Native on this like really beautiful pop-up. We had a slide and a ball pit and it was just really oh, fun awesome. and really cool. We had a bubble machine going. It was, it was great. It was actually not a food event at all. Most of my clients were in the food space, but it was at that event that turned on the news in my hotel room and I'm like, huh, what's this whole Corona thing? And at that event, people were like buying hand sanitizer from the Target and the gas stations. And I bought a bunch and I was like, oh, we'll give it away. It'll be this cute little thing. Well, I also got an email that during that conference that said, oh, uh, Expo West, which is like a huge natural foods conference in Anaheim. I was planning to go. They called it off. And like, that's a huge deal. Like Maria, people spend years trying to save up to go to the conference as a, um, as an exhibitor. And the fact that they shut it down, I was like, oh no, this is, this serious. isn't good. Yeah. I had this pipeline of events that like big, big events, like this was my year 2020. I'm like, this is it. Like I had events nationwide working with like, you know, cookbook writers from, uh, you know, New York times, best-selling books. Like it just was like, everything was coming together. And then it all vanished. It just poofed. It just poofed in March. I had clients calling me asking for $20,000 deposit checks back. Oh. I hadn't spent that money, fortunately, but I was counting on it. <laughs> Man. Yeah. It was a really scary time. Punch in the gut. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was also six months pregnant with my first daughter at that time. That's the fun twist. Yeah. She was due at the end of June, 2020. So I had a moment where I was like, oh shoot, what am I going to do? And I, you know, like we'll say like, I'm privileged to have an awesome education and work experience that I could have like called a tech company at some point. I mean, all the tech companies were going to do great for those next few years. Could have found a job there, but I just, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, especially having a child. It's like, gosh, do I really want to have that? It's not even a nine to five grind. It's like, it's like eight to five and then five to 10. And I mean, I work a ton now, so I have to say like, it's not that I don't work now, but there's something different about working on the things you want to work on when you want to work on them. Well, and and just the flexibility. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, my husband works for a tech company and when he has a call, he has a call. And if I have to take our daughter to the dentist and he has a call, then yeah, like, of course I'm the one doing it because I have the flexibility. I mean, it's, it's huge. And so I just, I knew that that was going to be important as we were coming into being parents for the first time. Um, and I also knew like the one thing I always remind myself is that I had invested a good year or so on building an online business. I knew that events was not the end all be all for me. I actually was toying around with the idea of creating a program to help marketers at food brands do the events that I did. I kind of wanted to remove myself from it and say, okay, or how could I train other marketers to add this to their offering if they had an agency Mm. or they were a solopreneur? So I had invested in courses to learn. I had built my email list. I had run Facebook ads. So I had this asset that was small, but growing. And that's when I decided that in May, I would launch a course and I would pre-sell it in April. (laughs) So I'd spend two weeks deciding what it was. I'd pre-sell it to validate if like people even want it. And then I would teach it live week after week for like eight weeks. And it worked. I was able to do that. Um, I thought So the program was called online experiences for food brands. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, brands like Bob's Red Mill, like they're going to want to sign up because now that they can't do events and they can't demo at trade shows, maybe they're interested in using Instagram to do demos or cooking classes or find a way Mm -hmm. to reach their audience. And I was like, okay, this is novel. I'm so smart. (laughs) Guess who signed up? No brands, no brands at all. I had in-person culinary instructors, chefs, bakers, caterers, people who actually work in like the physical offline world, just like I had, and they Mm -hmm. were looking to replace their income by teaching online. So I did my best and offered what I could based on what I knew. And again, because I was several steps ahead in, in having an online presence and knowing what an email list was and knowing kind of these principles that most of my students hadn't heard of, I was able to help them, but it really like turned out very differently than what I would have expected. And that eventually evolved into what I do now today, but, uh, definitely a windy path, Maria, as I'm sure you've experienced yourself. Well, yes, but I, what I really love about the story, I mean, I love so much about it, but the, at the tail end, it's like, here's who you thought was going to be like, yes, we need this. 
And here's who actually said, yes, I need this. It's so beautiful because it just shows like, you know, we've had, we, we, Cynthia and I talked for like half an hour before I actually hit record, but it's like, you try these things as an entrepreneur and you're like, okay, I've got this and I'm going to try this and I'm going to tinker with that. And it's like, it's so great when you, I mean, I guess it's great if you just like nail it and it's like, yes, everyone I thought that was the, the, the person who I thought this was for, like they're buying it. But when it's like, no, actually this, this is who wants it. It's like a, it's like a fun game in your brain. You're like, okay, I guess this is what we're going to do. And we're going to go with it. And I'm just going to like freaking make money doing that. Yeah. And I have to say it worked out in that I actually like fell in love with this audience. I, I enjoyed the brand work I did. But anyone who's worked with brands will tell you that it's different than working with a solopreneur. And I could relate more to the solopreneur, to the person I was helping. And I, we can talk about it too, like relate to them now more than ever before. I mean, if I think about myself back then, like if I were to start this business while I was like the single childless 26 year old or 27 year old, I don't think I'd be able to relate or empathize with my audience the way I can now, even though a lot of them have children who have just left the house. It's like, I understand them. And I was really excited as I learned more about them because I was like, wow, like I can really help them. And when they learn this one thing, it will make a big difference in their life versus like working with a brand where you're just like, a small part of this overall strategy and it's just different. So I'm glad it worked out that way. I think there's always the chance that you attract people who you don't want to serve. And that's a decision you have to make too. Like, do you keep going forward or do you change your messaging, pivot, et cetera? Yeah. So good. And I think too, um, well, I, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, being that solopreneur and, and, you were so smart too. And I, you know, I kind of did this a little bit too, but it's like, okay, I'm pregnant. And I know like time is precious no matter what, but you know, like your available time, like what the heck did I do with my entire day before I had children, before I was married? Like you could literally do whatever you wanted to do. Um, but now we have these things where your kid gets sick or there's a snow day or whatever it is. And it's like, you have to, yeah, there's maybe a shiny salary somewhere else. There's also like a lot of money to be made as a, as a business owner, but it's like the flexibility is such a huge, huge part of it and having a life first business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel yeah. like that's something that you, that your students even, you know, come face to face with. Yeah, definitely. And this was a recent shift for me. I think it was something that I didn't lean into in my life and I didn't highlight in my student's life. And I, uh, a few months ago kind of just did this like internal state of the union where I'm like, okay, what do I have going on? Why am I doing this? Uh, because yeah, like when you have chosen not to be in the corporate world, like, at least for me, I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure like that what I'm doing is aligned with, with me and my goals and my vision. Otherwise it's like, you're working for someone else, even though it's still you, it's, it's this, mm -hmm. like weird 
weird feeling that happens when you're not aligned. And I had that at the end of 2022 and took some time to really think about, okay, who am I serving? And I did this exercise where I actually made a list um, of, and I learned this from this uh, entrepreneur, his name's Alex Hormozzi. And he's like, he has a bunch of podcast episodes around how to make a lot of money. But at the end of the day, he's made a ton of money and he is very clear about telling you, like, it's not about the money. Like, even when you've gotten to the top of the mountain, like, there's still more. And a lot of it's internal and it's around passion and purpose and et cetera. But mm-hmm. on the surface, he can seem very, like, typical bro marketer. But I actually, I like him a lot. And him and his wife are both Iranian. And so there's that connection. But anyways, he had this exercise in a podcast uh, that I listened to. And it was awesome. He was like, okay, I want you to look at everyone who's purchased from you and calculate their lifetime value LTV. So in marketing, it's essentially how much have they spent with you? And then I want you to take, I think he says top 20%. So if you do the math and you see, okay, these people represent the top 20% of my revenue, look at them and see what they have in common. Hmm. And every single one of them has to have this thing in common for the most part. And when I did that, because it's because I should say like the whole idea is that you should speak to that audience even more, like double down on the people who have paid you over and over and over again. There are more of them out there, right? Like don't approach this with scarcity thinking, oh my gosh, no one else is ever going to pay me. No, like double down on the people who have, who have paid you a lot of money. That means they see value in you and what you offer and find more people who fit that. So I did that exercise and I have this on a flip chart that's like over my shoulder and I keep looking back (laughs) at it and it's so interesting. So for me, I mean, most of my best clients are in North America. um, So Canada as well. I don't forget the Canadians, but uh, 95% identify as women, Uh, 82% are married or have a partner and at least 75% have children. I was like, interesting. And as I thought more about those individual students, because I get to know them really well, we work together in group coaching and I I know a lot about their life. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. Now I'm seeing like some of the qualitative things under those stats, like someone's dealing with a child who's having a mental health crisis or someone's partner was recently diagnosed with a disease or uh, in the case of one of my students, She has her kids part of the time, they're teens, and she knows they're going away to college. So she wants to spend every minute that she has with them, actually with them, right? So there are these stories that are underneath the data. And as I looked through like row by row by row, it just became clear to me. I was like, oh, they all want to build this business. They all want to create an online culinary business. Yes, to make some money, but most of them want to make it or want to build that business to fulfill a passion that they have, to make an impact, to feel like they are doing something that they've always wanted to do because they've had to take care of themselves and others up until maybe now. So it just, the light bulb went off for me. And I think I used to focus so much on like, make a ton of money or 
you know, unlock financial freedom or whatever buzzword or phrase you want to say. And like, yes, they want a business that's profitable. It needs to be worth it financially, but that's not like the number one driver. And I, I didn't quite catch that before. So now in my marketing and my messaging, and when I talk to people, I bring out this concept of a life first business, a business that considers everything you have going on. And there will always be challenges right? In negotiations and like, you know, they're, they're sure, trade-offs, yes. trade-offs, but there are trade-offs, but I think even just the way that I teach them, helping them understand, like, it's okay if you don't want to do this sort of thing, because it cuts into another part of your life. That's really important. Um, for example, like one of my students was like, you know, there's a big holiday coming up. I should be selling these corporate team building experiences, but that's the week that I have my kids and we're going on a trip and I don't want to be on zoom when I have them with me. And so I was like, don't do it. Really? Really? Cynthia? Yeah. Don't do it. Like that's okay. So those are the conversations we have. And I think that's been the shift that I've experienced in my own life as a mom. We've talked about it, Maria with you. And like, I think it's just about alignment. It's totally about alignment. And if you're on a, if you're on zoom calls, when you like have that feeling in your, in your, you know, chest that your kids are here out here and you want to be with them, like, it's not going to be as effective if you want to get like, you know, businessy about it, it's not going to be as effective because you're going to, your mind's over here. It's not on what's going on. That mm-hmm. exercise is so interesting because when you were explaining it, I was like quickly going through like a couple of clients in my head and I was thinking about their similarities in their businesses, not like similarities of those actual people or what they might have going on in their lives. But that's so key. I think sometimes your client is you, right? Mm-hmm. Because you get them and, and and you have that kind of camaraderie of like, we're going through the same stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another thing that came out that's not on my massive sticky note on my wall, I'm telling you these, these large post-it sheets they're so expensive. It's like 25 bucks for this pad of maybe, I don't know, 20 sheets, but they're awesome. <laughs> so I I've, have got them a hack. All. I've got a hack for you. You just need to get giant easel paper from your kids and tear a piece <laughs> off and put you some tape. There you go. What a, I'm paying <laughs> for the brand. So silly. I bought them once <laughs> and I like reuse them and like tape them because they're not sticky anymore. Okay. Easel paper done. My, my kids are going to thank you. They're like, finally buy us some easel paper. Um, <laughs> But the other thing that's really interesting too, and this ties back to my background being Iranian, is that I don't have the exact stat, but the majority of my clients and students come from like another culture that they are like deeply tied to. Like, it's just, it's interesting. It's like uh, definitely a lot of um, like BIPOC women, women who like, don't feel seen, heard, understood by other business coaches or programs out there. And that's been so interesting because it was never an intentional decision. I never, like, I don't even talk about that in my marketing, but people see me, they hear me talk about things. Like I just sent an email newsletter about Noru's. So Iranian New Year's coming up, first day of spring. And one of my students replied and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm like so glad I just joined the program. Not only am I going to learn a lot about marketing, but I like love that we have this thing in common too, because she also has Persian, uh, the Persian background. 
And I was just like, that's cool. But that, that, that just wasn't something that I was forcing, but seeing that I attract, like you said, kind of people like me is, uh, it's really interesting. And I think it goes back to alignment, but also authenticity, like lean into who you are Yes. Even more. And so I talk about that more and more. I updated my Instagram bio to be like Iranian American mama of two. I didn't think that mattered, but that's what people come to me talking about. They want to talk about the kids. They want to talk about what, what's happening in Iran right now or whatnot. And I'm like, okay, like there are multiple facets to me as a business owner. And I've always known that, but have never actually done the stuff, updated yes. the profiles, done those things. Right. Yes. I think the profile is like something that's always evolving too, like depending on <laughs> like how I'm feeling or what I'm into or whatever. But I think too, um, you know, there's certainly a ton of people that do what I do. There are people that teach, you know, building an online business. I mean, probably thousands, right? But what it comes down to is people want to work with you because of you. So because of the little touch points, like you said, Iranian-American, mama, you know, whatever those little things are, I think that's an important reminder to talk about those things and to be human. You know, we're all human and we we want that connection like um, Noru's and all of those really mm -hmm, cool things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I want to, I, I want to learn a little bit more about um, so we talked about like the culinary aspect of your business and, and, and what's next for you. Ooh, sure. So I, I mentioned this to you before, like I've really fallen in love with the audience I serve and I think I'm continuing to get to know them more and more and just feel like I want to be their cheerleader. I, I believe in them more than sometimes they believe in themselves. And so I, as I think about ways to grow, um, you know, some people expand their audience. So they try and reach other niches by offering the same thing, but to more people. And I think I've just decided that this is the niche I'm going to serve, but I'm just going to find other ways to serve them. So when I started the program, kind of the next iteration of it, it was called cooking class business school. And the goal was to help my students. Again, many of them were cooking instructors, restaurant chefs, bakers, caterers, basically help them teach online Zoom classes. And this was still during the pandemic. So it was highly relevant and desperately needed. And through that program, what was really interesting is I, I remember there was one of my students who told me at the end, she's like, you know, this is actually not even about just online cooking classes. She was like, what you're teaching are actually marketing principles that apply no matter what business you run. And I I knew that because for me, my experience was more in that, in building out a business, uh, marketing strategy, funnels and sales versus actually teaching online cooking classes. Cause I didn't even come from the culinary world, but that's what people wanted to do. And I knew I could help them do it. Um, and it was also a time when like things were moving so quickly that Really no one had a ton of experience in that space. So I was like, you know what? I know enough. I'm a, a few steps ahead where I can teach this community. And again, I thought that they were coming just to teach online cooking classes. Turns out like they left with way more than that. So 
over gosh, the last year and a half or so. Um, so I rebranded with your, with your <laughs> help, uh, with your legal help, uh, to culinary creator business school. And it's really funny, Maria. I feel like when we have these moments of wanting to change the name or wanting to tweak something, it's, I don't want to say symptom because it's not a negative thing, but it usually is because there's some sort of misalignment. And this was back in 2022, earlier in the year, about a year, actually a year ago yeah, from now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <sighs> and I, I was like, just really set on this idea of a culinary creator and removing cooking class from the title of uh, the program, but also the company. And I just, I think then I knew I'm like, I, I I'm not totally set on being this person that helps people teach cooking classes. Like that's not even like the, the gold that I can offer people. And so, gosh, I mean, it, it's an evolution. I feel like you don't wake up one day and just scrap everything. You just start to make these shifts. And so I had uh, worked with our good friend, Sam on rebranding culinary creator business school, creating the site, rebranding the podcast. And like I said, by the end of last year, I was like, okay, like I still have people in the program. I still have them learning these things, but as we see zoom classes start to taper off and, uh, but yet still a lot of momentum in the online business space, like, well, I should lean into the area that is growing and is also a better fit for what I know and my expertise And that's what I've done. So gosh, just like a month or so ago, I rebranded my program again. (laughs) My company is still culinary creator business school, but I basically split up what I had. I like broke off a piece of the program and made it more beginner focused. So it's still for culinary creators, people who have that expertise, but they need to kind of get that foundation in place. So their online business foundation, which includes everything from understanding their purpose. Why do they want to build an online culinary business? Who are they serving? How are they going to serve them first? How are they going to market? How are they going to create an email list? Like all of that. And so it's called the online jumpstart because that's what it is. It's really jumpstarting them into the online space. It's a program that uh, I make very clear is not a course. It's a program because it's done with with my students. Um, I'm in partnership with them showing up on coaching calls and having, you know, personalized reviews and audits and templates and tools. And I want them in and out of there. Like this isn't the sort of thing where I want people to linger and hang out. Like the goal is to create your foundation and teach your first live class or workshop in 90 days. And, uh, we still have that teaching element because I believe that no matter what you're doing, even being on a podcast, you're teaching and it's important to be mm-hmm. able to get in front of your audience and talk to them. But that's, that's the offer that I have now. I think it's going to stick around for a while. I'm excited about it uh, because it is really helping solve a lot of the problems that my students had before coming to me, which is like, okay, I can teach this online class in but I don't have a website or I don't have an Instagram. And it's like, great. Well, we need to start there first. So I'm, I'm yeah. really excited for that. Well, along the same lines, I wonder if you can tell our listeners, you know, for someone who's, who's there and maybe culinary, maybe not, but just like there and ready to start an online business. Um, what's, what's step one, what's like the first, 
thing to get your head around? What's the first resource to jump into? What's Mm -hmm. like step one when you're like, okay, I have this idea, but maybe I don't have an email list or I don't have, you know, I don't have all the marketing stuff in place. What's a good place to start? Yeah. So there's like step zero, which is making sure you're really clear on why you want to do it. And I, every single student in my program, like I have them post their purpose statement. Like, why do you want to do it? And sometimes they're like, I want to help people eat healthier so that they can be healthier. I'm like, that's cool. But why do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. Right. So this is when you get to be a little selfish and like, like for me, it's like, I want to have an online business because I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Yes. (laughs) And I, because I want to set my own schedule. Like I want to have a free calendar. And at this point, like there's no turning back for me after being an online or just an entrepreneur, I should say for gosh, like, oh, since 2015, 2016, I'm like, there's no going back. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's a lot about being, uh, being independent and also this idea of like limitless potential. Like I love knowing that there's not a cap to what's possible. And that's why corporate was not a good fit for me because I was like, oh wait, I only get like this little raise every year until I get in a different level and then the level and the level. I'm like, no, right? Like I love the fact that like I could wake up tomorrow and have an idea and who knows where it could take me and my family a year from now, like who knows? So that's what I love. And I'm an optimist and and I'm always kind of seeing the opportunity, but that's what I'd ask someone listening. Like, why do I have an online business? Is it because your friend started one and it looks cool, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, what what is it going to give you? After you've answered that, then I think the question is to really understand who you want to serve and like what problems you're trying to solve for them. This is also where a lot of people in my program Like they don't do this part until they start working with me and they just skip to the solution. They like come Mm. in and they're like, Cynthia, I want to start a six week meal prep program. I want to sell it for this much. And I'm going to have this and this and this. I'm like, okay, who's it for people who want to meal prep? Hey, no, that's not specific. Right. So I want to know like, who are you trying to serve? What problems do they have that might be unique? Right. Like meal prep for a mom of two toddlers is very different than meal prep for my mom. Who's like a retired homesteader. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that's where like people skip to the creating the solution to the problem before knowing what the problem is. And they think they know, but it's an assumption. So talking to people. Um, so when I talk about defining who your audience is, I actually mean like having conversations with them and not selling them on your idea but just asking them questions. Tell me about your struggles when it comes to meal prep. Have you tried meal prepping before? Have you bought a course on meal prepping? Why? Why not? Right? At no point am I mentioning like, I'm offering a course. Would you buy my Mm -hmm. course? It's like, no, that can come later. But that's that to me is the key. Like if you can find an audience who has a problem that they want solved or something that they really desire that you can help them with, then you take the next step. But that step in and of itself can take some time. Yeah, that is so interesting. I also just really love like the deep why work because I feel like that can apply not only to, you know, your business idea or why you want to do, you know, uh, why you want to do meal prep or whatever it is. It's, you know, when you're goal setting or when you're, you know, 
oh, I really wish I had like 20,000 Instagram followers. It's like, why? <laughs> why though? Like, what's the, what's the real reason why? And you can yeah. uncover some like interesting stuff too with all that why stuff, but um, it's really, really important. Yeah. And I think a lot of it with social media, a lot of it's like around vanity and I've, it's taken some time, but I've kind of let go of it. Like, yeah, I still check if I post a reel, what the likes and follows are or whatever. But like the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm a nerd about email list and people like the podcast. Like Mm -hmm. I get more excited about podcast listeners than Instagram followers, because I know like if people listen to my podcast, I know from the data, like that's the gateway drug into working with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Following me on Instagram, not so much, but voice, like having someone in your ear for like, what, an hour now? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. so powerful. So I, I talk a lot about podcasting with my students. I think it is still an underutilized platform. So, uh, but yeah, the, the why work is really, really important in everything that we do. And I think it's, it's a good question to come back to, even with like the same decision that you made six months prior, like, yeah, yeah, things change. And I'm, I, I'm with you too on the freedom. I mean, I, that's a huge why, especially when you're, you know, wh- it, to me, it's the, almost the reason to do this, right. To be an entrepreneur, because like, you know, back in December, we all had the flu and like my kids home. And it's like, maybe I would have felt differently if I had like a deadline that day or those few couple of days, but it's like, if I can't sit on the couch and like cuddle up with my, my little one when he's sick, like, mm-hmm. what am I doing this for? Really? Yeah. What am I doing this for? Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's something that I've struggled with. And I think I've gotten better with is almost giving myself permission to step away from work on a, unapologetically. And I don't know if it's because I had to say it out loud and be like life first business, which by the way, does not mean unprofitable, soft, or like whatever you want to put around it. Right. Like it, it doesn't mean that it's a hobby, right? still very much a business, but I think just recognizing the reality of my situation, which is similar to yours, you know, like my husband has a work call. He's not moving it. And I get that the corporate world is different but I'll reschedule a podcast interview if my child is homesick and he's so grateful. I can do that. No one here takes it for granted, but I think there were moments where I was resenting having to juggle it all and nothing changed except my attitude. And I think just sharing it and talking about it made me realize like, okay, yeah, I'm not alone in this, but also like, I'm just going to own it (laughs) and lean into it. And the more I tell my students, the more it's like a mirror for them. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to hear that you struggle with that too. So it's just crazy. It's like, be yourself. It actually works. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yes. What a concept. I mean, yeah, totally. No one's looking at me to like have it all figured out. Like it's, it's almost like they, like I sent some pretty vulnerable emails earlier this year, describing this shift in the misalignment. And I wasn't doing it to get people in my inbox, but I got people in my inbox telling me, oh my gosh, I felt this way too. It's so great to hear that you also felt like this because they think that, you know, as a business owner, 
that's a few steps ahead. I should have it all figured out. And I think it just gave them all relief. Like, ah, thank you. Like you get it. And it, it, and, and I think like there are so many other people out there who have the same challenges, but they just don't talk about it. And it's totally up to them. Like you don't have to share your entire life. But I think when I share those snippets of things that are happening, uh, and like the tension between having a business and having a family, cause there is tension. It's like a healthy, decent amount of tension. Then like that makes people feel seen and heard and understood. And that's what we all want. So I'm, yeah, I'm just going to keep us. going. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's so good. Cynthia, tell us where we can find you online, follow along and get on your email list because I don't think I'm on your email, email list, but I want to be. Oh my gosh. <laughs> awesome. Yes, please do. So you can go to culinarycreatorbschool.com. That's where you can learn more about my programs and all that good stuff. On Instagram, I'm at culinarycynthia. And I do have a roadmap. Now I know not everyone listening is in the culinary world, but you could probably still tweak it to fit, to fit your needs. I have a roadmap and it's the 11 steps to having a life first online business and mm. yeah, 11 steps. I mean, so good. We all, yeah, we all know, like, it's not just 11 things you check the box off, but if you're like wondering, like, where do I start? How do I begin kind of the conversation we had earlier about knowing your niche? That's just one step, but there are many others. Um, so if you go to the website or go to my Instagram, you'll see a link to sign up for that. So just look out for the roadmap and then you'll be on my email list. And I send um, emails every two weeks and release podcast episodes now weekly again. So there's a lot. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. I loved that conversation with Cynthia. She is such a joy and I feel so inspired to remember why I created my business, right? Um, and if you feel inspired or you learned something new from this episode, I hope that you will rate and review the podcast. That really means a lot in terms of our reach. And if you want to share it on social media, be sure to tag me at Hey So Maria. This episode was brought to you by The Legal Apothecary. Hey, that's my business. I'm a licensed attorney and my practice is The Legal Apothecary, which is a female forward holistic legal service for creative women that want to focus on growing their influence and their gifts. And part of The Legal Apothecary is The Legal Apothecary Library, where I sell easy to follow contract templates for you to use in your business. As a podcast listener, use code PODCAST for a 22% discount on any of the contract kits that you find in the Legal Apothecary Library. Link in the show notes.